You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical lydia today's show we're going to be doing the 2009 certified hit orphan it was not a hit you're such a nice guy to say that though it was only a hit in home video that's completely fine you know that some film franchises really get a second life on the old uh, video store rack you know and in 2009 there was uh there was a couple of blockbusters still around probably yeah, true. There probably was. <laughs> that's the, that's the thing. That's what I like about podcasts, and that's what I liked about the video store. Because first of all, people are always hungry for content mm-hmm. in the in the video store. It's how the VHS market exploded in the 1980s. We have a market, but we don't have any products. So just keep pushing cheap horror and exploitation on people, and here we go. Here's a, an entire industry is born. But also movies like this that didn't light the world on fire when they hit the theaters. Find a second life. Like a new home. Yeah. A new family. Like a new, uh, these little orphaned movies that no one loves. It's got a whole new opportunity. And it could have been sitting there for 40 years. <laughs> you'd never know. Yeah, you'd never know. You would never, never know. Except that it's got gummy fingerprints everywhere and it's like dog-eared and scratched. That's true, but it kind of makes me love it a little bit more. You know, I used to be really adamant about taking stickers off if I got things from rental places. I really liked pristine cases and making sure everything looked fresh and new. Now I'm in this thing where I don't want to take the the stickers off of of shit. You know, I like to keep I like to I like to keep the legacy going. You know, when I I got uh, This Island Earth, it's not a horror movie, it's a science fiction movie, but I got that at the uh, Elgin Video Store. They put a little sticker on it that says, you call that an interocitor? Which is a reference to Mystery Science Theater 3000. I'm never taking that off. That's fantastic. Even if I'm the only one that gets it and the only one that thinks it's funny, every time I look at that box, yeah. Yeah, I've got some Elgin Video stuff that I still have like marked that it came from Elgin Video because mm-hmm. it doesn't exist anymore. So yeah, yeah. That's kind of sad and kind of cute. Some of my VHS tapes still have stickers, but it's scary to take a sticker off a VHS case. Yeah, you gotta be careful. Right? Like, here in the age of plastic, I have goo gone. You know, I can take stickers off things. It makes it easier. But the age of cardboard. That's why some of those VHS tapes ain't looking so hot. So this film did do okay after. It's another one where I could sit here and whine, like, why didn't this do good theaters? Because it made like half its budget back in theaters, which is probably pretty scary for Mm -hmm. the makers of this film. Mm -hmm. And it was up against a Harry Potter film in theaters, so I can understand it. Yep, that's the thing. Bigger, badder stuff comes out. That is why releasing your films, if if you have a wide distribution, it is a fucking art. You have to be real careful about especially nowadays when when there's when there's two types of movies that get released in the theaters micro budgeted films and then fucking 200 million dollar blockbusters it seems to be the only two things that ever get released in theaters anymore do you really want to put your little indie film up against uh like a fucking the latest superhero movie no no no, give a choice no yeah exactly that's why i tend to like dump months where other people look at them shittily 
I look forward to it because these are the things, the little movies that could, that are usually a hell of a lot more interesting and a hell of a lot more bold. And they're just worried about, rightfully so, going up against the films that, generally speaking, have mass appeal. Orphan is a flick that I missed when it first came out, and not for any particular reason. It didn't seem uninteresting to me. It just, you know... Fell through the cracks, and there, the cracks. there's so many films, though. And you had made an interesting point when we were discussing this heading into the film, was like, imagine this day and age where Texas Chainsaw Massacre could have just been one of ran- one random horror film among 300 in the year and just not noticed. Yeah, that's exactly the, the type of thing that, that's happening. I think sometimes when we look at modern horror films, and we've been looking at a bunch lately. Yeah. But some Warner Brothers. War- Thanks, yeah, guys. Three, three Warner Brothers pictures in a row. They should thank us. They yeah. should fucking thank us. You think so? Well, yeah, for forcing us to watch The Conjuring 2, I would like a thank you. <laughs> well, I'm not going to ask for a thank you, uh, but I am going to say you're welcome. But anyway, back to my original point. When uh, these modern horror films come out, one of the most, one of the things that I'm always looking for, and it's hard, it's real hard is to find out what film is going to be the decade's message movie or what film is going to, 25 years later, be a film that people want to revisit. I spend a lot of time with older horror movies and mostly because I was doing a lot of catch-up. I, I I am the type of person that rewatches things a lot. And so, hi, Wes, how did you miss this movie from the 80s? It's like, well, I was watching Aliens 600 times, so that's probably why I missed a lot of other films. Yeah, I've watched Farinelli many times and Puss in Boots over and over again. It's yeah. wasting time in a way, but it's time well wasted. Mm-hmm. But then, yes, you do end up playing catch up. Mm-hmm. And me, like, you know, I don't know a lot about Giallo, so yeah. I wanted to watch some of those. And I had a hate on for Dario Argento. I needed to watch some Dario Argento and luckily did discover films that i really like but when you go into older horror there's whole pockets undiscovered territories underground caves if Mm -hmm, you will mm -hmm. of fucking entire collections of a director's work entire collections of an actor's work Mm -hmm. just an entire decade just a decade that yeah that you are traversing through areas of the world that haven't seen light in a thousand years (laughs) that's what it feels like (laughs) nothing in there but Old movies and blind cave salamanders. Yeah. So trying to find the message movie, it it can be very, very difficult. And we kind of have a lot of work done for us as horror fans because there is a plethora of websites and magazines and books and podcasts dedicated to telling you precisely what to look for. They're going to tell you the best 10 of the 70s, the best 10 of the 80s, the 50s, the 30s, whatever. And so you'll go right to them. And so you'll know which ones to look for. There's far less dedicated to the time in which we live now. 2009 ain't that long ago. And a lot of these films that are coming out, I spend a lot of my time wondering if I'm going to remember this film in X amount of years. Am I going to care about a movie in X amount of years? And I think I am declaring right off the top, Orphan is a film from the modern era that I think is going to stand the test of time. I really think that this film has a lot to offer. I think this is a fascinating uh, character study of Esther is amazing. The, the, the acting in it is fantastic. They go for it with the violence. 
uh, there's a lot to recommend about this picture. And I think that it's a shame that I missed it. And it's a shame that more people miss it. But I'm also happy to, to report that, yeah, it ended up doing all right in the secondary market. It really did. It did amazingly well considering, and it's got to be word of mouth, you know, helping spread things like today when I, when I help spread the, the word on our podcast and mm-hmm. Vine Torture Cast as well, because I just always like put the two together so often because I've only recently been on uh, an episode of Vine Torture Cast. Mm-hmm. And people ask what a podcast is or what I do if it gets mentioned. Word of mouth definitely helps get listeners. Word of mouth helps boost the really piddly take that this had in the in theater so i'm really glad that people do have a rental market do lend movies to one another do recommend things do have vod i'm mm-hmm. a huge proponent of vod mm-hmm. um more so than anyone that's gonna steal a, a film because they can't track that you can't really substantiate a film's worth if everyone's just been stealing it right mm-hmm. uh, word of mouth doesn't work that way because you're going to tell people you stole it and tell them where you stole it from and they're going to go steal it mm-hmm. so renting a film lending films buying films as gifts going into those 599 bins in mm-hmm. your local walmart mm-hmm. and you know helping boost the the take right mm-hmm. I, I think that's really really valuable especially with a film like this that i'm really glad you enjoyed um the only other person I'd ever heard talk about it was Chris. So I'm really excited that you liked it, that other people would enjoy it too. And I was excited to see what the box office takes. That's normally information I don't pay attention to. Mm-hmm. That's when, like an obsession with me. I love to know box office. Of I'm films. learning this from you. Yeah. That's rubbing off on me because mm-hmm. now I do pay attention. And it usually serves to just piss me off. But it, Yeah, it can, be, it can be a source of rage porn. And sometimes I do admit that to myself. But other times it is an immense source of satisfaction because again we have to always be careful about perception of film versus actual reception everybody can fucking piss all over the texas chainsaw remake all they want look at the box office numbers of that fucking movie and that's why you have a million remakes yeah so every horror fan in the world will tell you fuck that movie box office tells you something different that the rest of the world, aside from like the hundred people screaming online, so I'm not, I'm not advocating for the Texas Chainsaw remake. Uh, um, I don't hate it, but I don't love it. But um, I'm just saying is like it's important, I think, to to look at the actual numbers. Maybe because that's what the studio cares about too. So I, I'm very interested to know if it worked out for them. And twenty million dollar movie. That's a that's a chunky budget for horror. Uh, a chunky budget for a horror made across four countries. Yeah. A lot of people worked very, very hard to bring this film to light. Yeah. And so we, we make almost $80 million when all is said and done. So at, at the very least, I can say what this film probably had going against it, uh, if I remember the trailer, and I barely do, but I'm guessing it was probably the same uh, perception I had when I saw the trailer for it. Eh, That's I, generic. I, I don't know if I'm going out to the theater for this one, but... I'll rent it. And I just was one of these people that never rented it. And let me tell you, I've walked past this movie on Blu-ray 800 times in my life. It's in every HMV Walder store around. Uh, Sorry, guys. And Walmart and whatever the fuck else. You can never buy a movie. There's always a copy of The Orphan. But I'm telling you, next time I walk past a copy of The Orphan, I'm buying it. Yeah, because it's worth it. And it is. I think it will stand the test of time as well. To which sounds like a lofty thing to say about a film that is so fresh, right? Yeah. But it is that good and it's that expertly crafted, it's that expertly acted. And the thing that I think will help 
give it staying power is that it really is an excellent example of some debut acting. Mm -hmm. And if somebody's going to be following a thread backward, you're looking at Vera Farmiga, anyone that was interested in her from such films as The Conjuring. Yeah, The Conjuring, yeah. Or Bates Motel, Mm -hmm. which is where I've become her fan, uh, to follow it back to an earlier role where she does amazingly and just does very, very well as far as the um, mother scorned Mm-hmm. And very, very well in her opening scene of uh, a woman tormented by the hell of, of childbirth slash stillborn, losing a child, miscarriage or whatever the hell. We've got Peter Skarsgård. I liked him in The Killing. And if you're going to follow somebody's career backward, this is a, to dig this up and not find them in some crappy, you know, Q-style movie or something like that. Yeah. You're going to find them in this. Great. Uh, you're going to find Isabel Furman from... What was it? One of the Hunger Games. The hung, yeah, she's yeah. in the Hunger Games. I, it's funny. I, I'm I'm not all that familiar with the Hunger Games uh, uh, franchise, uh, and but but I was I, I was like, where's where's this girl? Where is she? She's awesome in this movie. Why isn't she in, in everything? Why isn't she in ten thousand other movies? She was so young when this film came out, and she's bringing it. Yeah, she, like and, and that whole last fucking fifteen minutes of this movie. I I cannot tell that this is not an adult. It's You're... creepy, isn't it? It's creepy. Yeah. Spoiler alert, yeah. dude. Yeah. Uh, Astra's uh, not all she appears to be. Yeah. Even the little tiny kid, Ariana Engineer, what a weird name. Weird yeah. name for weird kid. But yeah. she's just tiny, tiny in this film. And she was in one of the Resident Evil films. And God knows, yeah. she's doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. apparently yeah. so and she was just little little so if she ends up going somewhere people will be coming back to orphan mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is great place and, to find these actors and another thing that's really important to pay attention to about a film can it be timeless will it speak to its decade because sometimes movies can become a message movie of the decade something like the stuff like it could only be made in the 1980s and there's so much 80s stuff in it it is the 80s 80s thing that ever 80'd and it lives perfectly within that decade this film is another type of timelessness in that there's nothing that specifically carbon dates it with the exception of one scene and that's only because we see some rock band going on or guitar hero excuse me i don't want to get any angry tweets and that's the only thing where i'm like oh wow that's kind of a funny fad that that kind of came and went in the video game world that anyone who's familiar with video games would be like, oh, I remember that one. But for the rest of it, this could be taking place in any decade at any time. And th- this story works. This story will continue to work. It's it's not, you know what I'm saying? Like it will continue to work. And it's all about this fear about bringing an unknown element into your home where you feel the safest. Yeah, it's huge xenophobia mm-hmm. going on in this. And all the, like, things aren't what they seem. And even though it's very slight, I could blow it out of proportion and go on for a long time about toddlers and tiaras and about oh, hypersexualization of youth and things like that. These um, trends and worries that have become very, very big, beginning in, the, like, the mid-2000s and on to now, where it's something about, like, uh, body and perception and youth and sexuality and everything is filmed everything is broadcast social media is everywhere especially this was when it was really becoming top of mind for people about how we are on camera 
either unwillingly or willingly almost at all times. And you can find out anything about anyone if yeah. you really dig hard enough. Yeah. You can't hide anything about your past either. Mm-hmm. These are all like themes that are subtly woven into this. What what on surface level is a pretty simple story mm-hmm. um, about an orphan, and that even pissed people off there. Uh, yeah, I could see that. It's it's people who uh, there there was advocate groups for uh, adoption. Yeah, kidsave.org. Mm-hmm, where they thought that this was uh, sending out a negative message towards potential families the, the, the fact that there are so many uh t- children that need to be put into foster care in in the world today and 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 how that this could detract people from doing it this is not a new uh complaint in horror and if anything uh this only emphasizes to me that this is a very relevant issue because it makes you think about big real world important things like an epidemic about how many foster children there are in the world and how there doesn't seem to be enough parents to, uh, to, to, to step in enough families to step in in the same way that environmentalists got all over jaws for its depiction (laughs) of sharks. Yeah. I, I mean, like, yes, these are films that I think any rational person would know that this is a movie about a, a deranged individual this is, does not reflect anything, but again... No, but the, the worry was very real, and not only just contemporary adoption mm-hmm. uh, or our child welfare systems. At the time, we were just coming out of a lot of news about Belarusian mm-hmm. uh, orphans who had suffered human touch aversion and just being abandoned, and there were so many of them in orphanages that weren't caring for them properly, so they were being adopted into homes with many like uh, behavioral disabilities and behavioral behavioral abnormalities so they were very hard to handle and they weren't assimilating properly and it sounds so borgy for me to be like they weren't assimilating properly but they were acting out and they did have some deep-seated psychological issues Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time money and care to handle properly Mm -hmm. and the worst case scenario is that they would end up in a home that didn't have the time or money to care for these children properly yet again and they would be abandoned in a whole new way Mm -hmm. and that was a very very real concern worldwide mm-hmm. so i can i can understand where kidsave.org would be worried about this worried to the point that they were protesting the film and worried to the point that even the disc that we have here has a commercial for mm-hmm. kidsave.org and even says like a disclaimer the film you're about to see deals with orphans but it is in no way meant to reflect the real world state of orphan children i think that's a really nice gesture on the part of the filmmakers and i think that uh, it also shows that that wasn't in their mind at all. And and maybe they were brought to these real legitimate concerns by these organization, because I'm not going to claim that these concerns are not legitimate. They definitely are. And, and say to themselves, oh, we didn't consider that. So this is what we can offer. We can put a disclaimer on it. Some people might not think that's not good enough, but at the end of the day, I think it is, and they could have done nothing. And oh, they could have done nothing because they could have said, "Fuck you!" You know what? This is where horror comes from. You ask me, like you've said it a million times as well. Look out your window. Mm-hmm. That's what you write about. Yeah, yeah. It's not really about write about what you know. It's write what you see and the things that are going around in the world that affect you mm-hmm. and that are affecting other people that you care about. There can be things going on that that don't necessarily affect you but you can empathize right Mm -hmm. i mean i don't think it's a fucking uh mistake at all about the fact that uh, esther in this film is not only an orphan but she's also not an american citizen Mm -hmm. i i think that 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 like you don't put that into your script 
unless you were specifically talking about things like xenophobia. Because mm-hmm. she could have easily just been from any town USA. It didn't really matter. Yeah, totally. She could have been from a, a family in the same city and had this exact same film happen. It wouldn't have had the same sort of atmosphere mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have the same sort of mystique. And you might not have believed it so mm-hmm. much because you're going to say, well, this kid can't be this evil. They went through the same school system as me. They went through the same judiciary system as me. They went through the same welfare, health care system as me. And I didn't turn out like this. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, oh, a Russian orphan. Yeah, like, oh, from overseas yeah russia you know and people just automatically well that makes sense but that's a fucked up thing to think but they know that that's why it's in the script same reason they put the gun crazy american bully in a lot of films because that's believable when Mm -hmm. you're overseas that someone's going to come and fuck shit up it's going to be some american Mm -hmm. so yeah it's that exact same xenophobia going on it Mm -hmm. works extremely well Mm-hmm. It does, especially here. And they've got us with suspension of disbelief with very small things in mm-hmm. this film. So we're already sort of lulled into this. You know what? They can throw anything at me. You know, whatever happens in the hospital, fine. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens in this orphanage, you know, mm-hmm. as far as the uh, process of adopting a child. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. So when it comes to the really big ask of will you believe that this is a 30 some year old woman in this child's body mm-hmm. you're like yeah I'll, I'll swallow anything this film throws mm-hmm. at me right now because you're so out of sorts mm-hmm. love it it's an amazing technique yeah, yeah it's really cool and there are there are uh, script elements in this that uh, like are a little ooh, that's a little weak in that point i would have pushed that point a little harder you're going for subtly here this might be too subtle uh and and that usually is uh or just um well, we'll get into it because, man, Lydia, what's this fucking movie even about anyways? How toddlers and tiaras have nothing on Esther. Because if you want to know how to take a nine-year-old girl and doll her right up fine into near seductress levels, yeah. Esther knows how to do this. That's true. Yeah, she she would blow Honey Boo Boo out of the water. Out of the fucking water, her and her Pischetti. This movie's also a little bit about bullying because, I mean, we had exchange students. I remember, like, at least four students through the time of my middle school that came from overseas that were one or two adopted, one or two that their families had moved here for whatever work or life, and they ended up in the school system In one case, a little girl from Germany that didn't even know English at all. But no one bullied her Mm -hmm. or, you know, we were we all understood Mm -hmm. and we helped her learn English and stuff like that. We didn't make fun of her clothes and Mm -hmm. their clothes were different. I had friends from England and their clothes were very, very different. All their toys were different than ours. Mm -hmm. But no one like bullied them. Talking about Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. (laughs) <laughs> would you have made fun of someone dressed like this she does come dressed quite like little bull peep and wears ribbons around her wrists and her neck which is kind of strange and does have an accent she does have an accent no i, I don't think th- there was one kid that i went to high school with that was from someplace in europe and he wore lederhosen no a, a three-piece suit to school every single day <laughs> every single day he wore even when it was boiling hot, it was this gray wool three-piece suit that he wore every single day. It was, and, and you know what's crazy is after we graduated, I'd still see him out in the world, and and he, he's still as smartly dressed as ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish that weren't the exception here. 
<laughs> I really do wish that were the rule. Oh, really? Because even you had said there's nothing really wrong with what she's wearing, even though the mother, Kate, stops her and says, that's not really what you should be wearing to school. Yeah, that is that is strange. When she came down the, the stairs and everyone had this big reaction, I didn't... Uh, it didn't register to me why they were yeah because i thought to myself well she's wearing a dress but i've seen i've seen people i've been to i remember elementary school i remember high school people wore dresses uh women wore dresses to the to yeah. to school i don't know i I, it, it, I i the idea that someone would make fun of someone for wearing a dress to school is kind of bonkers to me i think the thing with with the the character of esther is she has an aesthetic of someone from the 40s, vaguely goth, but in some aspects. Like Wednesday Adams. Yeah. Very Wednesday Adams, but softer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not afraid to wear some color and, and, and stuff like that. But I think it's just kind of vintage, but mm-hmm. it doesn't, it wouldn't strike me as bizarre. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like double take this little girl walking past me in a dress being like, oh, she's wearing a dress. How bizarre. Well, it has something to say, too, about the state of people's minds in 2009 compared to now. Because now, you know what, if someone wants to have blue hair in third grade, if a little girl wants to wear her dinosaur costume to school, she's allowed and encouraged. And if, you know, someone wants to wear fairy wings, he can yeah. wear them where the fuck he wants, right? Yeah, like, wear some and, fairy wings, why not? Yeah, and people are accepting this, let alone wearing a dress or mm-hmm. not wearing jeans or wanting to wear jeans. Um, I think in the in the mid two thousands we were a little more like kids wore Oshkosh bagosh, period. <laughs> this little, is little this... tiny Levi's and your tiny Doc Martens or yeah. your little tiny what are those horrible clogs people wear? Crocs. Crocs. Little kid Crocs. That's what mm. all kids wore. It's like the kid uniform in your mind. When I was when I was in elementary school, you needed to have starter something from starter. Yeah. So you'd have your Michael Jordan starter T-shirt or your big oversized L.A. Raiders jacket. That was what pe- that's what every kid wore. Well, the cool kids that could afford something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could go. You could maybe do like the giant tiger equivalent of starter which was like no fear like second is the first loser no fear wow that's where that comes from so yeah i would like i never played that game it was like if i couldn't afford lacoste i wouldn't wear lacoste i had a lacoste shirt when i was a little kid but that was another thing that was uh almost in the 70s it was very big to wear lacoste i was uh Geez, I, I had starter starter stuff and yeah. Nike and Adidas. I had that. Yeah. That, that was that kid. But I think we've fallen out of that. And also because people became very much more aware around this time that where those clothes come from mm-hmm. and who are the good guys and who are the bad guys as far mm-hmm. as clothing comes from. And disposable clothing became a whole big question in people's mm-hmm. minds. And, of course, acceptance of, like, you're going to wear whatever you want. Then no logo became a, a huge movement too around this time. So mm-hmm. um, that sort of like dispersed a lot of these yeah. ideas that parents would build up and start to instill in their children as to how they dressed in school. Mm-hmm. And there is this question of of the fact that this is, a, this is a, an affluent white family that probably cared a lot about appearance. Like just normal. You want to dress. Don't you want to dress like everybody else? Yeah. You don't want to stand out. And they even have the line about uh, that Esther shoots out that the mom gave her about it's okay to be different. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like and I guess it's like it's okay to be different provided people don't make fun of you because then because then you, you're just going to feel bad. Yeah. If it's being different day or you're in a being different zone. Other than that, you better conform because see how conforming has worked for us. 
yeah. have a beautiful home and drive a Lexus. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it definitely, it definitely is a, a different, but I think that that, that kind of goes a long way into trying to make sure. And I think some of the hammiest mo- moments in this film were probably to push the, the difference of, of Esther, because she's not a Wednesday Adams. She's quite, uh, affable at times. One might say superficially charming. Well, I like her a hell of a lot better than I like little boy. Well, that guy's a fucking cock. Danny? Daniel. Daniel, Danny, yeah. yeah. I'm sure he'd prefer Danny. Yeah. I would call him Daniel just to piss him off, the little bugger. Yeah. yeah it's uh, like, annoying, he... but that is the regular kid, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Ugh. But, yeah, they have two other children. They have Danny and little Max. Max is a little girl who's deaf, and I like her the, as the a cutest, character. The cutest little girl in the world. And she acts deaf very, very well. There, there's a scene that I like quite a bit. At the beginning of the film, where the mother and the daughter are talking to each other via sign language, it, it really is interesting. This film does a lot of cool things with sound, especially when it's supposed to put you in the headspace of a little girl that can pretty much not hear at all. Yeah. And and so there's some silent moments in the film that I like quite a bit. This scene is really sweet. It's really sweet. It's very loving. Uh yeah, Vera Farmiga does a wonderful job telling a story uh, about the fact that. Uh, it's a story about uh, that reflects something that happened to her in real life. Probably a story that she used to explain to her daughter when it happened that she was pregnant and she lost a child, and she has like a the, the mother has like a a nightmare at the beginning of the film about this to sort of get you in the mood for horror. It's not a bad dream sequence. It's very obviously a dream sequence, but uh, it's still pretty interesting. And it also kind of sets you up that we're going to be showing some blood here. I mean, I thought that we were in for another PG-13 romp. I didn't yeah. I didn't realize that we were watching an R-rated picture at all. So, <laughs> it tricked you, huh? Yeah, it really did. And the second one, I started to see the amounts of blood at the very beginning of the movie. I instantly readjusted in my head. I'm like, oh, okay. This is R-rated. <laughs> so great. And so this is something that uh, Vera Farmiga's character is dealing with, dealing with the loss of, of this child and trying to get her life back in order. We see that she is uh, going to therapy and she uh, has struggled with alcohol addiction. And this alcohol addiction has l- led to a, a, a near miss tragedy in, in the family where uh, something happened to their youngest daughter, or almost would have happened to their youngest daughter. Which I almost think that it's a little bit of a fib saying she was born with partial hearing. I think she lost her hearing because of this accident, because it is such a huge thing. And the drinking has cost her her job, apparently, as mm-hmm. well, teaching mm-hmm. at Yale, which uh, that's a very prestigious job. Very yeah. prestigious job. And something that it's one thing to lose your job through your misfortune and try and patch that up, but to lose your job at Yale and nearly lose your daughter. Um, so apparently she hasn't been drinking for a year. Mm-hmm. She still has urges, but she's seeing a therapist and everything seems to be getting better. They're going to uh, adopt a child to sort of not only patch up this miscarriage that she had suffered, mm-hmm. that she still has nightmares about, that she has a rose garden dedicated to because they buried the ashes of the miscarried child in the garden, which I think is fucking macabre and just not dealing with it properly at all when i think about it at all this Mm. there's a very big problem with that and now she's got so much love to give and she's gonna take the love that she had 
out of the one basket she had marked love for the dead baby and pour it into the new basket called love for the orphan kid. Yeah, I, I, I was talking about when we went, and this is not a big issue for me as far as the script's concerned, but it did seem strange to me, this um, this idea that you have a, a, like a lot of love. A in finite your amount of love a that fi- you've developed. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to sound like overly romantic or anything like that, but I definitely believe in an infinite capacity to love. You can love a thousand people. I, th- I th- if you want to dedicate that energy, but that is an energy that you need to like. But there's not you're not running out. It's just yeah. how, it's just how many people you want to let into your life like that. But I guess my point being is, it's a weird line, but it's not. Uh, it doesn't ruin anything for me. It, it, I just it just kind of made me comment. I was like, that's kind of funny. But that is a feeling that's very per- uh, per- uh, pervasive with people. You hear that all the time. Where it's like, I don't have sympathy for these types of people, or I don't. I don't have any love for these types of people, or I don't. Or, or, or like I can only handle this many people in my life, and and I was like, well, yes, I guess that those types of comments make it sound as though there is a finite amount of your own personal emotion. Maybe there is. I don't know. Many people would find that if they stop spreading themselves so thin, especially mm-hmm. just with acquaintances and friends or so-called mm-hmm. friends, mostly so-called friends, that they would have a, a lot more valuable friendships with the few people That's that they true. do allow in. That's true. That's like the the more healthy broad spectrum look mm. at that um where where kate is taking it is is just fucking surreal to me yeah yeah gotta yeah. have three kids because i have love for three kids and now i lost one so now what oh fuck this is why i'm an alcoholic and ruining my life and my job and your life and their lives and everyone's lives around me and yeah it's like going to the pound and getting yourself a new jazz man they do go to the pound and get themselves a new jazz man <laughs> <laughs> exactly and i thought that was weird but that's another place where i'm suspending disbelief i'm like do you just really walk into an orphanage like it's a dog pound and pick out the cutest one yeah i mean this is one of those instances we talked about it with lights out yeah i, I mean unless you, child custody is a big process and uh, for films like this uh, i mean for a film like orphan i give it a pass and the reason for it is because it's not really a movie about the adoption process we need to kind of get to the horror yeah and and we only have uh you know an hour and a half hour two hours or whatever so we need to kind of skip over that but it is quite odd and i don't know if it's supposed to be this idea that they're adopting an older child that maybe the process is it can't be because it's another it's a it's a person you're 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 Taking a person home. The process has to be long. But anyway. Yeah, like, I know. That's, but you let it go because, yeah, like you said, you got to get to the horror. And you're like, well, I don't know. I've never adopted a kid. That's the thing. I guess I, I, I suppose anyone who's been through the adoption process probably will look at this movie and maybe a mild eye roll and, and take it just with like a big old helping assault. But I, I think for the, for the rest of us, it's probably fine. I notice it. You notice it. Yeah. But it's not – again, it doesn't ruin anything. And so the the, the, the parents meet Esther, a, a very artistically gifted young lady with some very mature uh, perspectives on life. Uh, something that, uh, 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 you know – have you met those nine-year-old kids that just seem to be, you know, like they're chess wizards or something fucked up like that? They wear three-piece suits and shit, and they yeah, he's like speak a Billy better Elliot than you something. do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love kids like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they make the that's world cool. Go I, like the little boy from uh, from the ring. Yeah. Like oh, that's that's a good example of someone who's just got his shit together. He's a little gentleman. Yeah, a little gentleman in his mm-hmm. tiny little boy suit. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I mean, that's definitely uh, where Esther is coming from here. Uh, again, the scene acted quite well and, and quite believable, and they kind of fall in love with her, and as do we all, and they take her home, and it seems as though, uh, and I mean, you know, how do you not love her? She's learning sign language in the car ride over there. And, and it, Brother Daniel doesn't even know sign language. There's a scene later on at the dinner table, and he's like, what's she saying, Mom? And it's like, you were even like, what the hell, kid? You don't even know sign language. That's a dick move. That's a dick move. It's like your baby sister communicates with sign language, and you've never learned it? Not even basics, because she's asking to be past the bread and butter at the table. Yeah. It's like somewhere you sit every day, because you're this kind of family, I see. I get, like, I guess they sit down to dinner yeah. all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Max sort of gets along with Aster too with that big sister sort of feel immediately mm-hmm. not only because she impressed her by learning some sign language which is enchanting mm-hmm. but she is a big sister mm-hmm. what little sister and she's prime little sister material because she's oh. had this shitty brother all her life yeah and, and she's at like the most adorable she's at like the she's not like a baby where you can't really do anything with them you're like a baby what do you do she's like that that perfect like four, five, five went, yeah. year old like little sister thing where she's mobile she can tell you when she needs to pee and do it herself that's that's cool when you're yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're nine you know you don't want to deal with anyone younger than that yeah yeah, yeah. exactly exactly yeah because then, then it becomes kind of like a chore where where it's like you know watch your sister could be more fun this one's like a helper monkey yeah yeah yeah, yeah. she can you know uh one time when i was working at the grocery store uh, during the days and I dropped some some product on the floor and I was like ugh and out from under my legs comes this tiny little boy and he just picks all this stuff up for me and hands it back up to waist level and in that moment I was like wow fiddle dd look at you thank you like a helper monkey <laughs> yeah I was like this is great <laughs> follow me around the rest of my life pick up stuff that I drop well of all the times that I've just loathed children in public places I guess this is the one time that they get a pass because they helped you bending over like the ent you are <laughs> it would have taken you a half hour at least yeah yeah so you know we got the making of uh, you know pretty uh, pre- pretty normal uh, uh, blended family normal blended family and an interesting dynamic because we remember that we're watching a horror movie and Kids can be so insidious. We've seen films where kids are not what they appear. I mean, we've seen films about adoption where kids aren't they appear. The Omen comes to mind. The Omen definitely comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this surpasses The Omen as far as creepy kids go, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, but we've seen The Good Son, a classic yeah. Macaulay Culkin film. We've seen The Bad Seed. Um, and so we're kind of at it again. But with an irreverent twist. It reminds me a little of Alice Suit Alice, even though adoption isn't a thing there. But it no. is older sibling bossing around, being manipulative, mm-hmm. and especially getting in between the parents. Because that happens pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, even, like, you can almost see through her little tiny things, like the mother um, offering to teach her how to play piano. Mm-hmm. It's not too long before we find out Esther plays piano just fine. In fact, she's some sort of virtuoso. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And she's hid this from her mother. Yeah. That's not even halfway through the film that that comes to light. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. get to see a lot of this, like, her driving little tiny wedges, little tiny kid-sized wedges mm-hmm. in between the adults, and little tiny kid-sized wedges in between the adults and their existing children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We see our, we see Esther sort of allying herself with her younger sister. And, but at the, be, at the beginning, I mean, 
that people are shitty to her in the real world, in her school. No, oh, that bully girl. That bully girl instantaneously pulling her Bible out of her hand. And, and her, her brother standing idly by while her sister, her stepsister now is picked on, humiliated. Even with his own friends saying your sister's a spaz and, and then, him saying it's not my sister. Yeah, so fuck them all the way. Yeah. I'm on Esther's side. There's even a, in a point where she's like basically eyeing up her brother and this girl in turn. And like, I'm just thinking if this were a more mature horror film, we'd pegging them to die. And I don't feel badly pegging children to die. And it's almost that more eerie because the person who's going to be killing them is also a child. Mm-hmm. So it's it's played very, very well. And it gives you a level of discomfort as the viewer. People aren't really going to be bullying old Esther for long because it becomes very clear to the people who are the most vulnerable around her that she is not a woman with whom you fuck with. Because in a in a, in a scene, she just pitches that bully girl <laughs> off a fucking jungle gym and gets a real nasty break. And again, with this scene... And we see the little girl's leg just bend unnaturally. There's the sound effect. You know that, well, they're not going to kill children. Maybe. Yeah, maybe Maybe. they will. And we've been shown how ruthless Esther is when Daniel's out playing with his paint gun. Yeah. Like a boy does, I guess. Um, He's shooting all his little G.I. Joes and stuff. He shoots a pigeon. And it's filmed very well because we get, we know that Daniel's a bit of a rough and tumble boy. But you can tell from the look on the actor's face that he doesn't think he's going to kill the pigeon. Yeah, it's it's almost like that that very young... You understand what death is, but you don't understand how fragile things can be. Yeah. And, and perhaps death is even like this nebulous, I'm going to shoot this bird with this paint gun and it's going to be covered in paint and won't that be funny? But he they, was just killing his friend in the video game. Yeah. His friend's still alive. You yeah. know, he was just killing all his G.I. Joes and they're still alive, question mark, or whatever. Yeah. So when he shoots the pigeon, the look on his face, it's acted very, very well. And it's one of the some of the best acting from this little male child actor. Um, he has incapacitated this pigeon. It looks like its neck is broken. I don't know what a pigeon is doing in the forest, but whatever. That's an argument for another day. Um and Esther comes up with Max and says, you need to put it out of its misery. It's going to starve to death. Is that what you want? Mm-hmm. And she's very dead serious about this. Mm-hmm. And when he doesn't have the guts to do this, grabs a rock and smashes mm-hmm. the pigeon and kills it in front of them mm-hmm. and says, there, now it's in heaven yeah. with the coldest delivery. So we have an idea that Esther is capable of murder. Mm-hmm. And they're saying how this little bully girl's lucky to be alive and we we're, we agree with that yeah she's lucky to be alive and mm-hmm. esther's probably like god damn it mm-hmm. yeah esther is also a rather uh, intuitive young lady she understands that when that uh when she was at the playground before she pushed that young uh, uh girl off the the play the play area that her adopted father is talking to this woman and it doesn't seem overly flirtatious, but it definitely seems as though this is a woman that he may have a past with or what, but there definitely seems to be something. She kind of has like a porny vibe going on, but... Yeah, the other mom? Yeah, because she's wearing that... Like she She's just acting in a very seductive way, and the camera leers on her cleavage, and I was like, that's weird that the camera is doing that, because otherwise I don't think I would have noticed that she 
Like, and it's not even to make us look at her cleavage. It's not even to talk about how John is wanting to look at this girl's cleavage. It's only to tell us that this girl wants everyone quite badly to look at her cleavage. And that's, mm-hmm. the camera really succeeds in that. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what we take from the body language of the character, that opening shot mm-hmm. has convinced us that she wants us to preserve her, to perceive her as a sexual creature. And not only that, but uh, we learn a little something about this guy's past. And he had a little indiscretion. Do you think he was with this woman? This woman was from his previous job? Yeah, I think it is because when she says, you were hiding it from me. And he was like, no, because I knew how you would react. She's like, no, you could have told me we'd have a laugh about it. But Mm -hmm. instead you decided to hide it from me. Which seems like the dumbest argument ever. But I guess this is the sort of arguments that they prime themselves to have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, so Kate and John, they're a very... uh, sexual couple they keep trying to get laid keep trying to do stuff i think that's absolutely normal except that they got three kids running around their house that's made of glass yeah they definitely (laughs) i I think that i was gonna come down hard in the scene where they're banging in the kitchen but then i said well they tried to have sex in their bed and esther comes in with uh max yeah they're afraid of the lightning they're afraid of the lightning and uh and and I think Esther is like again like you're when you look at the entire picture as a whole you're like oh I see what she's trying to do here she's trying to make it like stop sex from happening or or to make it difficult make that a source another source of frustration because you know sometimes when you're in a long term relationship you're arguing with people sometimes the best thing to do is just fuck it out I guess so yeah just get rid of uh, get rid of some tension but if you can't release tension that way. Um, I thought that if you had that sexy of a kitchen, of course you'd want to do adult things in it because, I mean, fucking fuck cooking food when you got all that nice marble and shiny metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably a, a, a big problem. But yeah, so they try to have sex out in the open. Esther sees them again. And this is where the, the, the start of, shall we say, Kate's suspicions of Esther grow because of the fact that when she tries to sort of have this mother-daughter birds and the bees conversation with young esther uh sometimes adults do adult things yeah it's like they fuck yeah and we're like oh an f-bomb and her mom even refers to it later on as an f-bomb yeah she dropped an f-bomb but not only did she drop an f-bomb but it wasn't just a curse that she heard where people put fuck and fucking into their sentences like a comma like i do she was using it in reference to the specific context of the word. Yeah. So, like, I know what adults do. They fuck. They fuck. And I know what that word means. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Not only do I know that word, but I know that it means... And they weren't making so- love. They were fucking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good. It's and good. Esther's brilliant enough to make that distinction as well. So now you're going to begin manipulating us, and I can see it coming. There's also the question of, of was this little girl at the playground pushed? Mm-hmm. Now... Esther says that they were playing and she slipped. Max confirms that and says that she does indeed slip. And we see the the beginnings of Max's culpability and Max's, you know, following her older sister, her new older sister, which is just weird to me. That doesn't seem to take that long for her to really insinuate herself entirely with his family to the point that Max will cover her ass, do whatever she says, and watch her do some pretty heinous things. Yeah, because uh, Esther is going to rope her kid sister into some uh, Huck Finn, uh, Dennis the Menace 
Tom Sawyer-ish shenanigans. Which I love. It is exactly that, too. And there's so many things, like, that she does and that the kids do that are very kid-like. You know, the sneaking, the snooping, the hiding, the having things tucked in your drawers to hide away from your mother. You know, the putting a hammer in a backpack because you're going to take it to kill somebody. The hiding bloody things. You know, we did. We all did these things when we were kids. <laughs> because, oh, snap. Very quickly into the film, I found we got a little little ring at the door and the sister that was involved in this adoption process sister abigail sister abigail she heads on over to the house because there were some concerns that the that the that kate had voiced over the phone and it caused her to do a little bit of research now we know that esther's previous adopted family had died tragically in a fire now we have additional information that not only was that fire arson and they never found who did it. But also that there is a history of schoolyard accidents that have been following Esther around. Like a kid stabbed himself with some scissors in a jaw. And who was there? Esther. Fights, accidents. Something goes missing. Who's there? Esther. Mm-hmm. It seems to be alarmist. From, uh, from the father's point of view, he has had several conversations with his wife already about the fact that Esther is... A little girl, and we don't know anything, and it's probably fine, and she doesn't need to go talk to a psychiatrist, etc., etc. And she's just unlucky. And you know what? She's an orphan that comes from overseas. We don't know what she's been through, and she seems to be handling it just fine, actually. And to top it all off, she's well-kept and polite. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't find it too bizarre that, you know, Esther doesn't really want to... Uh, you know, go to the doctor, go to the dentist. She doesn't really want to do much of anything. She's a little girl. Little girl. I don't really like going to the dentist either. I love going to the dentist. Mm-hmm. That that really, that's where I started to clue in there's something wrong with this kid. Now. I had braces for four years and then uh, a, a complete with the headgear, guys. I had a fucking headgear. Nice. Yeah, the I'm rubber bands and, that down. and the headgear. Future ammo against <laughs> There's a picture in this world with me wearing a headgear. That's so adorable. it's awful. I think the only thing that I, I I really feel for people with braces is when they have to get tightened and stuff. That it was it was a monthly a monthly occurrence where you have to get your braces tightened and your elastics changed, and holy like you just can't you yeah. just can't eat for forever it's, it's it hurts so bad that's the thing that people don't understand about braces especially people who make fun of it or whatever and like i mildly make fun of it but i get it i've never had braces mm-hmm. but i've seen people get them tightened and and again yeah. i totally get it but i mean if you my teeth were horrendously crooked i had massive buck teeth and everything like that so Crazy. they did a wonderful job thank you but um that's not the hero there so my experience with that and i've had two root canals in my life too so like yeah. i i definitely know about not loving the dentist. I'm so- just an extraction queen. I've had six extractions mm-hmm. um, from wisdom teeth and then cascading wisdom teeth because mm-hmm. I'm a mutant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like a fucking piranha, you just keep, or a shark. Keep, like a shark. <laughs> keep growing more teeth. It doesn't seem too odd, although it does make you wonder why uh, Esther doesn't want to go to the dentist. doesn't want to. But then again, she's a little girl, so that's not too alarming but we are watching a horror movie that's the other thing about this that is is interesting this film is a horror movie and it does have violence in it and it does have quite uh dark themes and it deals with certain subject matter that could make the normies uncomfortable but for the most part 
the film kind of has to do its own job of providing a consistent amount of scares and tension throughout. So there's a couple of weird uh, sequences where sinister music will play when something is found where I don't really know if the score calls for that. There's also instances of jumps uh, that happen that are really like, here's children just walking past the camera, but I bet you didn't expect that. She closes the mirror and her husband's there. You know, there's lots of moments where you think that there might be a jump scare or something like that where there's not. And you always have to remember that, Esther herself is not a supernatural entity. She doesn't have powers, and she is not the spawn of Satan. Would you almost expect, you know, three quarters into the movie, if you haven't seen it before or didn't know what was going on, you'd start to think that she's all of a sudden going to sprout horns and wings or something. Well, she moves She moves like a fucking phantom. They've set you up, though, for mm-hmm. this sort of horror is going to boil over any minute, and you mm-hmm. just don't know what kind. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, what makes the twist so effective. And I really wish that you hadn't known going into it, because up until the, look at the three-quarter point, you're going to be just wound into a knot, trying to figure out what it is about this girl that's so creepy. Other than she's just vaguely creepy, mm-hmm. like a little Wednesday Adams would be. Mm-hmm. But And she's, like, super manipulative and deadly. But, like, is there something bigger? Is she a witch? Is she, you know, what what is it about this kid? Is she yeah. possessed? Is she the son of Satan? Is she gonna? Is this, is this an Angela moment? Mm, yeah, we don't know, <laughs> and ultimately we don't know what her agenda is. When we find out what her agenda is, it really makes everything that she's doing specifically very interesting. Now, it makes that little things the adults do and say too, and I think that's one of the more effective um, little tiny breadcrumbs that we're fed on the trail to what her motivations are. When the father says. Oh, it's okay. You don't want to go to the dentist. Come downstairs and draw with me. Yeah. It's almost like a come on by the end. Yeah. Or when Sister Abigail is like, oh, have fun trying to get her to go to the dentist. It's something that people would say about kids. But it's when it's said about Esther, it has a lot of weight. It's like, well, how many, how, what kind of freak out did she have when you tried to take her to the dentist? Mm. Considering what we know of her by the end of the film. So these kids get themselves into some hijinks, some shenanigans, because when Sister Abigail leaves the house and she's going to do some deep-rooted investigation, she's going to get down to brass tacks. They want to find out where she came from. Exactly. And they sort of like almost gloss it over with, well, her original parents could have adopted her illegally. Very real. Yes, very true. Mm -hmm. But... Luckily for us, the audience, and the rest of the story, because it could end there, uh, Kate doesn't accept that as an answer. And and we're already seeing a wedge being driven between this couple. And also the fact that Kate has a history of alcoholism. She has a history of accidents with her children. An unreliable narrator is exactly the type of chaff that someone like Esther might need. If only she had that information herself, which we find out later she does. Mm -hmm. And everything that Esther seems to be doing is to further drive a wedge between these two. But first things first, (laughs) she's got to get rid of that sister. She takes Max, fucking pitches her out in the middle of the road, causes that car to, to swerve. And baby, it's fucking hammer time. It's almost like Looney Tunes level of planning, though. Yeah, it, it is pretty crazy, but it also, like, it has some, some good kid snooping moments. Find a gun, find this, find that. I mean, I like the moment where 
where Esther points to the points a, a pistol that she finds to Max's head and says, "Do you want to play?" It really reminds me of that scene from The Good Son where, and there's a treehouse in this movie where Macaulay Culkin has uh, I think it's Elijah Wood that's in that movie, fucking dangling him over the fucking uh, outside of the the trap door in uh, in a treehouse and say like, "If I let you go, you think you could fly?" And the reason why that line always stuck into my head and treehouses in general was I remember as a kid one time going to someone's fucking house and I was with my grandparents and I think they're cousins or something, but they were dicks and I fucking hated them. Yeah. And it was one of those things where you would go and play with these boys and it, and it was miserable. They would fuck with you. And like yeah, someone's like, gonna get hurt, like, and they're like, dicks, and they're doing bad things. Yeah, and, and they'll pick on you, and, just, yeah. and I definitely got like picked on, like brought to tears by them. Like I, I only have two distinct memories of these guys. One was them making me cry, and the other one was them bringing me up to uh, a treehouse and opening a trap door and trying to fucking shove me through it. So I remember, I remember those two things. So I always very, I always remember things with treehouses in it. And I don't know who these fucking kids are, but I hope they're dead. I hope they're listening and go and seek therapy and yeah. maybe aren't, you know, training their children to be like that. But who are we kidding? They probably are. Yeah, they probably are. Yeah. Yeah, it's Real disturbing. bunch of fucking Nelson Munces over there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Someone should pull their pants down and make them walk through the streets. <laughs> now, March. <laughs> Here's our fucking weekly Simpsons reference. <laughs> Hey man, you know, I've often thought that Billy should have be forced into a scenario like that, even though that wasn't quite all that a real life bully would deserve. I really enjoyed the bully that got her ankle broken by being pushed off the, the playground. Leading up into that scene, she was walking around with like fear because she saw Esther than she didn't and she knows Esther yeah. hates her and she's done a lot to deserve some sort of retribution from Esther. So she's walking around just scared for her fucking life. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all bullies should fucking walk around like that. Yeah. Really, truly. Yeah. But yeah. Everyone begins to walk on eggshells around her, mm-hmm. and the Sister Abigail's concerns have been overheard by Esther, so Esther knows all this shit's going on. Esther basically tells Max, they're coming to take me away. Yeah. <laughs> and her poor deaf little sister doesn't know what's going on, because she can't overhear what the adults are talking about. She's at the disadvantage there, and is absolutely in love with her new big sister. Mm-hmm. So, of course, she plays along with this... Uh, oh, yeah. What did, what did you say... Um, Dennis the Menace. Dennis the Menace, like uh, chicanery. I think that it went off even better than Esther would have expected to push her sister out in front of the car and the car be swerving and go off the road the way that it did. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she planned it at all exactly like that, but it worked out in her favor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, poor Max, poor little girl. Um, Poor sister Abigail, I guess. Poor sister Abigail, she got hammered. Right in the head. There's great blood in this, too. This is where we see the real brutality. Yeah. You know, we've seen her squash a pigeon, but that's just squashing a pigeon. Yeah. And I agree with Esther that mm-hmm. Daniel had to put that pigeon out of its misery. Yeah. And she had to, you know, man up for him and kill it. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with that scene. But now we're into something different where the nun has suffered a grievous injury because of this accident and being hit once over the head by a hammering she gets little max to help her drag the body off the road can you imagine that gang let me paint you a fucking picture so we've just seen a nine-year-old girl bludgeon a nun with a hammer and then we see a five-year-old girl and a nine-year-old girl dragging the bloodied body of a nun an old lady nun off of the street 
and then toss her ass down a hill. Which is hilarious because you get to also see Lydia laughing her ass <laughs> off because she's thinking, what's black, white, red, black, white, red, black, white, red? <laughs> and then Esther just finishes the job, fucking hammers her head ten more fucking times. Yeah, this a movie, bit of overkill. This movie goes for it, man. Yeah. Like, it fucking goes for it. Especially when, you know... He, Aside from all the suspension of disbelief, my brain does at least twice go to, like, what are the laws with child actors these days? Can yeah. they get away with all of this? Yeah. And it's not that long ago, so nothing's really changed. Like, that's a pretty well-steeled kid. And to know that it's a 12-year-old, you're like, well, okay, yeah, um, you can explain all this to a 12-year-old. And 12-year-old's seen something probably a lot more brutal in their time on this planet, thanks to the fucking internet. So, like... Eh. Mm. But yeah, I don't know if there's a little bit of uh, very artful double action there with the amount yeah. of times and the brutality that this little girl beats the nun to death with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, awesome. like that, that new Logan movie came out and uh, that little girl that plays X-23 is like 11 and she kills like 100 guys in yeah. that movie. And apparently she did a lot of her own stunts too, so she had to be present and they showed her the movie. They saw what her character did to them. So, you know, three cheers for desensitization, kids. Yeah. Because, yeah, now you can have all kinds of cool film roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's nice that we get to, uh, as adults, look at cool shit. This is kinds of stuff that I never even think about, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, I guess, uh, yeah, I'm an adult. So I get to watch whatever I want. <laughs> With this, this is where um, this is where you would be forgiven for a lot of the choices Esther makes. She is a one hundred percent a killer, cold blooded killer, and she's fucking dangerous. She'll kill you for almost no reason, and or at the very least, maim you. And if you die, you die. But. She's got some kid tendencies with her in which she's... it's So the nun that comes over to your house explaining to your family that you have a trail of accidents and shit like that going on and your last family died, this nun at your orphanage that that is now missing and found dead uh, less than a kilometer away from the house in which you're currently living after visiting her and also... Uh, someone in your school has been injured thus far and also your murder clothes and weapon you're gonna put in a fucking jan sport and put it in a treehouse and just leave it there <laughs> it's funny when you explain it while you're watching it you're creeped out by it and you're there right because you've done these things as a kid or similar things maybe not killed a nun but you know what i mean like you've you've secreted something away or put something away for later or exactly. you're going on an adventure so you've collected all your adventures things in a bag or whatever the fuck you did as a kid mm -hmm. but so you can relate to it it's not till after when you're telling me all this that i'm like wow it really is you know kid level looney tunes level preparation execution and aftermath to all of her shit yeah but she bludgeoned a nun to death with a hammer. Yeah. There's nothing childish about that, no. right? So she turns to her younger sister and says, I had to kill her. She was going to tell on me. Mm -hmm. Tell on me. That's like the scariest word in kid language. Really? Going to tell. If you're doing something fucking stupid, like, yeah. Murder, yeah. Murder's pretty dumb. Now, sister Abigail was going to tell on her. So she turns to her sister after saying that and says, you're not going to tell on me, are you? It's like, well, I guess not. You just killed a nun. That's the thing. Max does have the presence of mind to understand that, well, 
I'm scared and confused and she has a she has an understanding of death because I mean she had a a little sister that died uh in childbirth. Yeah, she's been explained death over and over. She almost died herself and they say she doesn't remember anything in the pond, but maybe she does. Yeah. She understands death very much and she saw a pigeon get killed, so she does understand death and she understands that Esther is serious and she also loves her sister and would at this point do anything for her quite obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's and, that and, little and, tug of war. And also like Esther does the classic, well, you, you're just as guilty as me. You'll go to jail. And also manipulates her further with emotional like blackmail yeah. telling her that, well, you're my little sister and I'll do anything for you. So you'll be yeah. safe. Yeah. I like, love wow. you and I won't let anyone hurt you. It's like, it's this hot and cold thing that manipulators do. Right. Yeah. And it's done brilliantly because it's from this nine-year-old girl that we've already kind of fallen in love with because she's a piano virtuoso, a great painter. She's polite. She dresses well. All these things that... It's kind of like exactly what you would want out of a kid, right? It's like, oh, artistic and talented. fucking adults should behave a little more like Esther without all the killing and manipulation. Yeah, leave the murder and manipulation out of it. Yeah, but, you know, dress nice, be well-spoken, be polite, think. Think. Just at least fucking think. Mm. Enough adults don't do this, let alone children. If children mm. would behave like this in supermarkets, I would never notice them. That would be great. That scene, that dinner scene where uh, Danny's being a dick to his sister and like complaining about how she's cutting her fucking meat and, 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 and shit like that. And coming after was like, you're from like Transylvania or some shit like that. And she's just schooling him. She's like so much smarter than he. Which is brilliant. Yeah. But Danny gets his too, and it's it's great how we can see Esther whip people into shape and put them exactly where she needs them. He saw them coming out of the treehouse. That's all he needed to do to fuck up, because she's at his fucking throat that night. The box cutter. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking says some nasty things, like she'll cut off his bald prick before he even knows what it's for. And he pisses himself. Yeah, he does piss himself because he's terrified and she (laughs) mocks him cruelly for it. Which is all it takes. Which is great that it's all it takes because that's all the attention I really want her to pay to Danny because he's a dick. He's a bully. He's an asshole. He's a shitty brother and a shitty kid. Mm -hmm. And he's going to grow up to be a shitty human until somebody accosts him in the middle of the night with a fucking box cutter and threatens his budding manhood. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that a lot of people also need. I really like Esther. I know you do. I like her too. Um a lot of fucking evidence piling up on esther and i kind of feel like this precarious house of cards is is from esther's point of view i'm wondering if she definitely has uh an mo in which she adheres to we we learn her history later but at this point it kind of seems as though does she want to just live in that orphanage and not be adopted or she would likely want to have basic freedom. So she's going to live in this household, but she's also a murderer. And so I kind of feel as though she's starting to spin a lot of plates where someone was mean to her and she compulsively shoved someone. That person got injured. The jig was almost up. And then someone was going to tell on her and, oh, now I got to go like take care of that. And so she's got to go spin that to make sure they still don't think I hurt that little girl. Now the nun's missing by my house and she's spinning that plate. And then she's like, ah, fuck, my stupid brother saw me. Now I got to go like take care of that. So I kind of feel like she's just like really trying to balance a lot of shit. And she's like less than four feet high. So this is tough. Yeah, this is tough. And she hasn't been there that long. Long. No, you know, a couple of weeks maybe, and and already this shit is falling apart. And it's something that adult killers and and psychopaths 
would have a hard time with too, but they have things like can drive cars, can afford things, have money, um, you know, forge other networks and relationships mm-hmm. with other like-minded individuals, have some help that isn't from a, a five-year-old yeah. sister. You know, things like that where we're, we're watching this very accomplished killer and psychopath operate in the body and guys and for all we know as a nine-year-old girl mm-hmm. which is fucked up like her mo i don't know in the end game we're starting to kind of grapple with too because i'm thinking like why why wouldn't you have just hooked up with somebody you know like vampires can find people when they're trapped in kids bodies to help them get bodies and get blood mm-hmm. why can't you find adults to help that will help you mm-hmm. live the way you want to live instead of having to rope these poor normies mm-hmm into whatever game you're playing mm-hmm. it just seems messy and pain in the ass because you're yeah spending all these plates mm-hmm. it's gonna fall down though like you said yeah yeah so the her mom is pretty much onto her something's up with esther and but she is still using this as a way to she is using her mother's own problems even going to a psychiatrist going to the mother's psychiatrist uh, Esther obviously knows how to talk to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist is speaking to a nine-year-old girl and so isn't concerned with any types of manipulation. And, and Esther has fairly normal, fairly normal little girl, but she doesn't have a hard time relating to people. She also thinks that uh, her mother, does, her new mother doesn't like her. I love that. How it's like, you know, for all we know, Esther spends all four seconds in the psychiatrist's office. The psychiatrist like, there's nothing wrong with her. There's something wrong with you, mom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how the idea that, like, fine, we'll take this girl to a psychiatrist. And, and the mother seems satisfied with that. But it's something that just gets twisted on her. Yeah. Where her idea about, like, let's go get some help. Um, is now the worst thing she possibly could have done because now not only does her psychiatrist with whom she drops is uh, and uh, doesn't believe her but now her own husband thinks that there's like something wrong here you're definitely doing something that is getting to her and then in that drawing session getting like you should do something nice for your mom so she knows that you guys are cool and she's like okay yeah and she fucks with her again by pulling out those roses on her kid's grave grave pot and which i think you know in a different film that would have been a helpful moment sort of like opening the drapes that the mother had had pulled so tightly around her miscarried daughter that's buried under the rose bushes or whatever like the sort of thing that she really needs to face and she shouldn't have let get to her so badly except that she knew esther knew exactly where those roses came from and mm-hmm. what they meant to her mm-hmm. so it was a great manipulation tactic and a great way to really you know drive the knife in Although I had said she should have poured salt water where the grosses Just because you want to twist that came knife. From. Yeah, because they'll grow back. And I mean, the mom shouldn't be so goddamn upset unless Esther did, you know, pour boiled salt water and but then, kill the plant. True. But and the, the husband in that moment, like where she pulls Esther's arm and like freaks out. We got a we got a moment here, a golden opportunity. Esther goes down to the fucking basement and breaks her own goddamn arm. And then now the father thinks that in that struggle, the mother broke Esther's arm. And now it has basically become this this huge ordeal where she's got to go get some help. She's got to do you got to do something because this is fucking ridiculous. And Esther's going to sleep in the bed upstairs with me and you're going to like sleep on the couch. So goodbye. 
Which is funny that she was doghoused in her own house. I think that's hilarious. You usually see that happening to men in film, and I'm glad that it finally happens to a woman. Yeah. Uh, even if it is uh, because of this, like, insanely brilliant and, and emphasis on the insane little girl's tactic of breaking mm-hmm. her own, own arm in a vice, which is great. Super effective. And really terribly effective because I've seen what it is, like, when a fully balanced, happy family has a child that suffers a broken arm and, you know, it's a tragedy as it is, keeping the kid calm, getting to the hospital and having CAS show up and the cops just in case you broke your kid's arm. And it's such a shock to people who don't think like that and don't behave like that, that they have to prove now that they didn't break their child's arm because people are, you know, that protective of children and thankfully so, but it's a real shock to people who don't think like that. So now you've got Kate who sure was angry, but doesn't possess that sort of strength or hatred and does not hate Esther. Mm-hmm. Is curious of her and pretty sure that she's, you know, after something and manipulating everyone, but not to the point of breaking a kid's arm. So, yeah, you really feel for her. And not only that, but her, her main frustration not only seems to be Esther herself, but even more so, I would say the frustration of the fact that her husband and partner doesn't seem to be believing her or listening to her. Again, we have this element that is at home in a haunting story, for example. One member of the family has the idea that something is wrong. Other people don't believe this person Mm -hmm. and they are becoming increasingly more frustrated and there's mounting evidence that you're crazy because that is the simplest explanation. The simplest explanation is that there's something wrong with the adult and there's nothing wrong with the child because why would a child ever hurt anybody? Yeah, if anyone's really been interested in this uh, um, resurgence of interest in things like gaslighting and the film Gaslighting and other films where it's the uh, scourge of the psychotic woman where even you're left questioning in, in some films, is the girl crazy or are these things happening like uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death? films like that if anyone's really interested in that you get to see a good example of someone being gaslit like fuck mm. in in this film um of course this drives kate to go and get two bottles of wine uh, well she she has a history of alcoholism she's incredibly stressed out her family is falling apart no one seems to be believing her and she doesn't really know if she broke Esther's arm or not. She knows that she pulled it, but she seems convinced that she didn't use enough force, yet Esther's arm is broken. So, And, well, I mean, I just think right away, well, she must have gone in the basement and stuck her arm in the vice and broke it herself. I mean, that's what kids do. Right. Right? Right. Um, exactly. Like, you wouldn't believe that, like, Esther could be that fucking metal. No, it would, and it would blow your mind to know the truth. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Cause, in cause, real yeah. reality, if this were to have happened, if this hit the news, yeah. that a kid had broke her own arm in a vice to get back at her mom or whatever. Yeah. Fuck, that's crazy. People do crazy shit, though, so fully believable. Yeah. Especially, that that scene is brutal to look at, too. She's, like, fucking sitting there with the screwdriver wrapped in towel around her mouth and, like, just... Well, you'd need a bit for that one. Just fucking slowly cranking it. And, and I honestly was like, oh, what are you going to do? 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 What is she doing? <laughs> Not only does she break her arm, she sets it because it needs to look, like, 
broken that she hadn't noticed it was broken mm-hmm. which you know I, i've been there with a broken ankle mm-hmm. um it needs to be broken in a certain way where it's like you're not quite sure it can't be flopping around mm-hmm. she has to only break one one bone right not mm-hmm. both bones. it's yeah. it's great that she knows exactly what she's doing like she's done this before but what's cool is everything that we described from here on it might be hard to remember because I, I, I had to keep reminding myself of it too everything that she's doing and how physical this role is she's apparently doing with a broken arm yeah yeah so mm-hmm. she can just play through the pain oh yeah kid. she's got a little splint on but that doesn't really change the fact that her arm is indeed uh busted but um when when shit is about to break real bad it kind of comes from the fact that the kids have to do something the kids are kind of like on the mom's side but they don't all kind of like collaborate together because Danny and Matt well Max is too young but like I believe Danny is being kept out of a lot of what is actually the arguments that their parents are having it's a big house it's hard to hear not if you're Esther but and Danny's busy playing like um rock band or guitar hero guitar hero and shit like that shooting things with paint guns yeah and like looking at like porno mags with his buddies I like that his buddies have like two scenes with them and then they're like goodbye forever I'm like all right but anyway um uh, it's also a symptom of of a family fighting too is that other people won't want to be around right so I think exactly another reason Danny's friends sort of peel off Mm -hmm. grandma's there too for a couple of scenes so there's there's that there's uh, not the nicest woman in the world, but definitely seems to be. Um, there's this, there's this air of disappointment around uh, Kate's life that seems to be permeating, and so all of this stuff combined, and it makes me wonder how Esther would go about this if there wasn't a history of alcoholism and depression. And she'd and, find something. Yeah. she would just pick through your diaries and your your fucking underwear drawers and the drains in the house and the garbage or whatever she needs to do to ferret out what it is. She's just lucky that she walked into like the chocolate factory of fucking pain and misfortune. Yeah. So when, uh, when Danny basically comes to the ideas, like Max tells him where the drawings are. She, not the, not the drawings. Uh, Max has made some drawings of the, the, the situations that have happened, some murder drawings. And one of them is the nun. The nun, yeah. Being dragged off the road and killed with yeah. a hammer. Well, a very childish drawing, but we know what, what, what it is. Mm-hmm. And right away, Danny's like, hey, is that Sister Abigail? Mm-hmm. Which I applauded him for paying attention for once in his short, dumb, bully-ass life. Yeah. It's, just, it's like, well, you know that much. Anyways, Max tells him that all the evidence that Esther has in that fucking backpack in the in the the treehouse and so danny goes up there to go grab the evidence but esther's fucking on top of that and it takes the drawings that max had made and takes the jan sport and to, i don't know if it's a jan sport it might be but and and then fucking burns everything with but danny in with the treehouse in the That's fucking treehouse yeah. and she gets she gets to this point by doing still kid things listening at the door overhearing things yeah which and it's all just fueled by kid things like little drawings that max had hidden away mm-hmm. you know it's it's really cool kid level stuff but fucking heinous um, yeah. I love the scene in the treehouse, and that's got to be every kid's biggest fear. Or no, no, kids don't give a shit about that. Every parent's biggest fear that something yeah. really bad's gonna go on. Like you can't have a heater in the treehouse or whatever the hell. Yeah. So like, he's locked in there with a padlock, mm-hmm. and it's on fire. It's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. He has a hard time getting out of there though. Mm-hmm. There's a little trap door, and it's not really like that high up. But he's like hanging on for dear life while things are starting to fall apart and it's it's on fire mm-hmm. everything has caught fire and she sprayed it all with barbecue starter so mm-hmm. it's uh it's engulfed in flame yeah 
I'm he, I'm kind of bitching because I'm like, have you never watched Tomb Raider? Don't you know how to get out of this? Because you can clearly see how he can like just shimmy down this one board and grab like, one of the tree. Th- this is a fucking millennial Lydia millennials spending all his time looking at his iPhone playing Guitar Hero. Doesn't know how to pull up his bootstraps. Never climbed a tree. Never went outside. Yeah, it's true. My curfew was the lights on the street, Lydia. If he goes outside, he's probably just shooting things with his paint gun. That's right. His apps and his fucking digital things. I don't know. MP3s. Kids. Yeah, he's probably never been outside. You're totally right. You're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah. Sign of the times. Yeah. Perfect 2009 moment here. 2009, yeah. Kid doesn't know how to climb a tree. Yeah. But he, he hits the ground pretty fucking hard. And the mom comes out to rescue. Uh, and uh, that kid's in the hospital. And the mom's already in fucking hot water. Because every... I've got to point out, though, right before the mom arrives on the scene with the wounded boy on the ground and mm-hmm. Esther standing over him with a rock. We've seen her here before, haven't we, kids? Oh, yeah. We know what she's a, she wants to do. Mm-hmm. Put him out of his misery. But she stopped because the mom shows up. Oh, my God. I love that scene so very much. It's so very Esther. And at this point, the mom is doing a little bit of her own library work here. She's uh, she's doing some on the Google. She's trying to figure out where Esther came from. The point is, is like Sister Abigail is dead. And the people working at her at the orphanage don't really know where she came from. And they don't have uh, – and, and as unbelievable as that might be, you kind of go with it. But um, she has a sneaking suspicion that – what she can do is track where this old Bible that Esther has been hiding away. Yeah, she knows there's like pictures and stuff and notes tucked into it. So there's got to be some sort of information. That's what people do with old family Bibles is mm-hmm. put like genealogical information, birth notices, death notices, pictures. And there are pictures in there. A bunch but of men. Nothing. Yeah. That's like, okay, man. I mean, she's a little girl-ish or whatever. I don't know. It's creepy. Um, but it comes from... The Sarn Institute. Sarn, yeah. Which I thought, you know, that doesn't mean much. That could be like the Gideons. Yeah. Yeah, the Sarn Institute. Sarn Institute. Like, she doesn't know what that could possibly have. Yeah, it could just be like, who published the fucking book, right? Right away, I see. Like, she Googles it and it pulls up a Kirkbride building. And right away, I'm like, oh, that's not good. It's a, it's an asylum, period. I just knew it right away from the look of the building. Yeah. But I guess she didn't read the Wikipedia entry she saw yeah. and just wrote down the phone number. Mm-hmm. Gives him a call and is like, you know, I'm looking for more information about this little girl we'd adopted. Other people had adopted her, we think, from your institution. Mm-hmm. By the time she gets somebody who speaks English on the phone, he says, no, that's not possible. I don't think you understand. This isn't an orphanage. This is an insane asylum. Yeah. So that is that is what we're left with. But then there's really no time to investigate this. Like I said, not only is this fucking woman in hot water, she's sleuthing around, Nancy Drew and the shit out of this fucking crap. And her son needs to be intubated all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's not as bad as, oh, it's, it's even worse than you know, Max almost got died when the car rolled down the hill because Esther fucking through the break. Yeah. yeah. Took the break off and like fucking let the car roll down when the mom was distracted for a minute. So right now everyone is basically putting, Everyone, like, nobody trusts this woman anymore, and we are at our wits' end. They they think she's started drinking again. They think all the children are in danger around her. They, they And this culminates into the fact that, like, on her watch, well, Grandma was there too, but on her watch, Danny almost dies. And he's in the fucking hospital, and he's got a neck brace on. It's serious. He's all right, but it's serious. But he's stable. And... 
I mean, tensions couldn't be higher. And old Esther goes to grab herself a sodi, a little parched. Sitting in a hospital is the worst. And you always find yourself just, I guess I'm just going to eat because I'm fucking bored. And, you know, grab yourself a soda, innocent enough. But the fact is, it's, it's, it's like Esther's just like, kind of like a, why won't you die type scenario. She's got to go smother this little twerp with a pillow. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking about all the things that I do in hospitals when I'm bored in hospital. I'm usually walking around looking for small size gloves because that's a rarity. Um, but they shouldn't have let her out of the sight. She's still a kid. I mean, I yeah, well, they got what was coming to them. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, because especially since like grandma, just like, yeah, bye, bye, Esther. And then here's a and dollar. See you later. See, kid. Uh, like your mom said to stay here, but here's a dollar so you can go fuck off. And then when like the five year old, like Max is like, I'm going to go with Esther. She's like, all right, goodbye. Because Max doesn't trust Esther anymore. Thank God it took yeah. this much for Max to not trust Esther. It took almost dying by Esther's hand yeah. to not trust Esther. Mm-hmm. But no one catches up with her in time. Yeah, and she smothers the kid and uh, at least has the presence of mind to... Uh, the, the touch that I loved was because as a, if, you, if someone is that jacked into the hospital system... I mean, they're on heart monitors yeah. and stuff and like those that. Those heart monitors are all connected to the nurses' stations. Exactly. Yeah. So if anything were to go wrong, so it's like you can't just like unless you're going to blow someone's brains out of the hospital, you can't smother them because people are going to come running. Yeah. She fucking puts it on her own finger. Yeah. While she's doing the deed, and I and I'm watching this movie. I was like, wow, like they're going to fucking kill this kid. And sure enough, he flatlines. It takes a lot more than that to kill somebody via suffocation and i guess this is one thing that she hadn't researched like some other child killers in films that we know know exactly how long it takes to drown somebody and hold people under for longer uh, i guess she didn't know how long it takes to suffocate somebody and he bounces back just barely mm-hmm. from the brink mm-hmm. of death as mm-hmm. it were and who knows maybe if he wasn't in the hospital already he might not have but yeah. he was in the hospital so yeah and then the, after the big freak out moment, I mean, the mother is seeing this all happen again. Like it's parents watching doctors swarm around their young child trying to fucking bring life back into him. And so Kate fucking storms around looking for Esther because she suspects her. And there she is with her soda pop just walking down the aisle, which and I love. Because uh, if you hadn't seen what just happened and weren't like embroiled in this film and knew what Esther was and what she was doing, you'd be like, what a fucking bitch, man. Yeah. In front of nurses and orderlies or whatever, she clocks this chick open hand right across the face slaps her calls her a bitch calls her a bitch like draws blood to the to her mouth accuses her of almost killing her son yeah and she gets swarmed by by doctors and gets fucking tranked tranked yeah which i i that's where i roll my eyes a little bit they don't just carry tranquilizers around and needles in their pockets ready to you know, attack angry moms. <laughs> I mean, wow, you should bring yeah. them to soccer games if that's the truth. Yeah, wouldn't that be great, though, if there was always, anytime anyone was getting a little bit crazy, you could just, like, have a bunch of pe- big burly orderlies, like, grab you, and then someone else just, like, inject them, like, ah. <laughs> Yeah, I would love that world. I would love that world where children behave like Esther without all the killing, and where orderlies would just trank people that get out of line. Mm-hmm. I know it's a little New World ordery. I know. It's very Orwellian or something. Yeah, say. but, you know, I'm okay with it. Well, as long as you're okay. Now, this basically leaves her uh, in the hospital, Kate in the hospital, and Max at home, Esther at home, 
dad at home. I thought you were going to call him daddy just because of where we're going daddy, with this. Daddy, daddy, yeah. big daddy. You know, we haven't talked about uh, you know, John's dad bod that we get to see a lot of in this movie. I bet you this a lot of the screen direction wasn't even. And in this shirt, uh, in this scene, uh, you're uh, you know having sex with your lady. Or you're just kind of talking to her in the bathroom or whatever. And he was probably saw his guard was probably like, "Can I take my shirt off in this scene?" <laughs> yeah. He's like, "I'm not dad enough in this scene. I need to dad bod it up a little bit." Well, they're supposed to be like a super sexy affluent couple so i guess they spend a lot of time like that they would be this couple that has a picture of them naked over their bed yeah yeah and you know this is my first time really seeing um vera farmiga in anything other than like a matronly god-fearing role true yeah we've Th- never got to see her be sexy this is this is her you know youngish mother still in her sexual prime likes to get it on with her man as much as possible you know that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess he has been a little sexually frustrated, right? And I think this is what Esther's kind of like hoping for right now. Yeah, because Esther, uh, while he sits in the living room and smokes and polishes off this bottle of wine that uh, the bottle of wine that his allegedly uh, relapsed wife didn't uh, pinch into just yet. Well, yeah, she poured a glass of wine but didn't drink it. So, like, you know, you sort of, again, feel for this character because she almost reached her breaking point mm-hmm. but pulled herself back from that brink. But he drinks beer and wine in the house. Like It's uh, true. And, again, with people struggling with addiction, one of the most frustrating things for them is getting this overwhelming feeling, which can really be a contributing factor to relapse. It's this idea that everyone is waiting for you to just fuck up and slip. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is fine. Everyone thinks that I'm just going to break down and get back into drugs or get back into alcohol or whatever it is your particular vice is. So fuck it. I'm just going to do it. It's like, fine. This is what you want. This yeah. This, you get. Yeah. This you is... think I can't do it? Well, I agree with you finally. I also agree. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to drink. And it's very sad. It's very subtly. It's very subtle in this is the scene in which she's trying to basically convince convince her husband and her therapist that she didn't drink right and uh, when they just don't believe her so he chooses this time and like i understand humans are weak humans Mm. are weak and stupid and he makes a weak stupid decision in my point of view because he's at home charged with the care of a very young girl and their orphan girl who Mm -hmm. he is even starting to think you know there's something very unbalanced here his life is falling apart he admits that much to this orphan daughter and everything is fucking falling apart his wife is under a fucking 48 hour if not longer observation a psychiatric ward in the local hospital just floors away from his son who has just been pulled back from the brink of death who might have been you know almost murdered by like he's got a lot of responsibility i think right now but he chooses this point to start smoking cigarettes in the house and drink a whole bottle of wine to himself which it's I hate that sort of behavior being normalized and it has been all of my and all of our human existence that when things get tough, what you do is blow off all your responsibilities and get trashed. That's what you do. That's how you fix things. Mm-hmm. And I fucking hate that decision and I fucking hate that decision here. But I do like how it's being taken advantage of. It is being taken advantage of, but there's a, there's a, a I thought... I had a suspicion where I already knew the twist of the movie going into it. Uh, I didn't know 
Esther's true intention. But once you figure it out, I thought that we were getting into a scenario where we were going to have a husband with a, a history of infidelity who now heavily under the influence of alcohol would perhaps make a decision that normally he would not make. And I was thinking that they were trying to use the alcohol as an excuse for maybe a slip. I didn't know exactly how this scene was going to play out. You thought it was going to go a little Lolita. A little Lolita. And I, and I do mean that. Uh, I did think that it might go a little Lolita. And I think that... Um, I'm glad that it didn't happen because I wouldn't want the decision to just be... Well, he, he was drunk, therefore. Almost as if to say that alcohol excuses behavior. And I was like, no, no, because you make the decision to drink, therefore you take responsibility for all actions that happen afterwards. And it would throw a lot in our faces, too, because he has been his, her number one fan and a very good father up to this point. Yeah. Very understanding. And, and there's been nothing to allude to the fact that he has any sort of, like, inclination like that. But Esther comes down the stairs after getting a, an outfit together and she is completely vamped out to the nines. I mean, ready for like a red carpet premiere. These Bond girl level fucking Matahari. Oh my God. She looks fantastic. Yeah. And I don't even feel weird saying that about this nine year old girl, 12 year old girl. You know, she looks fucking beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it is. I want to say it's creepy, but it's done so well that it's not creepy because you're almost like, she should dress like this all the time, which is fucked yeah. up thinking, but that's just what these, the scene accomplishes. Mm -hmm. And it looks so different from how we're used to seeing her because she looks very modern now in yeah. this sheer, not sheer, but in this like uh, black dress that she's wearing. Her hair is done in a more modern style. Slicked back into a high bun. She's got opera gloves on and very yeah. nice red lipstick applied perfectly to this yeah. like alabaster skin. Very heavy dark eye makeup, mm -hmm. which is sultry and mm -hmm. beautiful. You almost forget the fact that like she's still sporting a cast. Like she still has like know, a fucking right? splint on her arm. She's like exotic, erotic kid with a cast on, which is fucked up. Yeah. yeah and, they and, play this very, very well. And so she starts her seduction game on him and he breaks down and starts crying to her about just the scenario and whatever and she plays with his hair and it's very i'm so understanding and your wife doesn't seem to respect you or care what you want and all this other shit that she's spewing out and with her other arm she's kind of working it up his thigh. yeah working up his thigh and then she starts doing stuff and then he's wakes up and i was like oh, okay so he's not going to fall into this trap do I want? Do I think the movie would be bolder for her just coming to that? I'd be like, yeah, I definitely think it would be bolder. But this is not the movie that they're. This is not the story that they're telling. Yeah, and it wouldn't make any sense. And it and it would become like awfully. Um, I think like for especially if this movie had like a wide release, yada yada yada. I definitely think that going into I know that like you know Lolita is a, is a story that's like taught in fucking schools and stuff yeah. like that but again you have to be really careful it's a delicate balance it's almost like a Natalie Portman and Leon where you it's this very delicate balance that I think you can do it that it's palatable for people yeah, so well, you don't you don't want to insult uh, fatherhood and you don't want to normalize any sort of hemophilia yeah. or anything like that but you've got this seductress and this infidel so like i don't know yeah it's it, a very tough 
thing that they're dancing with, but mm-hmm. I think it's just done so perfectly. And yeah. I, I'm really glad that they didn't. And I can't see how they could have made a decision any other way, given what Esther is trying to accomplish here. Yeah. And I think that ultimately... Um, if She's they... not a kid getting ready for a show with toddlers and tiaras. No. She put this outfit on. There's no accident that he's had to see her like this, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not a fucking happy accident either. No. So, yeah. And, and I think that if they had gone the extra mile, if that John had uh, like made a different decision in this scene, I think that the whole movie would just be about that. It would just be this one fucking scene and the rest of the movie would be largely forgotten. Yeah. Um, which would be a shame. Uh, now, he pulls away and this starts. Now, we've seen Esther have tantrums before. Mm-hmm. We've seen uh, tantrums when her mysterious ribbons were almost touched. And Which made me, you know, she screams in the hallway at school with the scream that out screams every scream that anyone has ever screamed. And I can't scream. I'm one of those rare beasts that, you know, doesn't really have a scream to mm-hmm. her. Um, I have more of a yell. Mm-hmm. I'm, a manly, I'm a manly little bitch, but like... I wish I could scream like this. Does she ever have a fucking set of lungs on her, this kid? Wow. Mm-hmm. And it is a scary, like, it is almost like Ajin Demi-Human level of fucking scream power that this kid has. And later on, she has a tantrum in a bathroom where she's, like, kicking the walls and freaking yeah. out. And she's almost kicking right through mm-hmm. while the in the other, like, the voiceover is talking about what a gentle soul she is, which is mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. I love that scene. But So we know that... She is a fucking hair trigger ticking time bomb here. Mm-hmm. And we're also getting a little information because the mom is on the phone now with the Sarn Institute. They've mm-hmm. called her back. Mm-hmm. They want to know, uh, listen, is uh, Esther anywhere in which she can hear you? No. No, she's with my husband. So you need to get there, get the police. Get them away from her and out of the house and safe. Which so, is like alarming. Yeah, and and I love that. Um, there's nothing to me that sometimes I think the best way to show the menace of a character, the worst way to show the menace of a character is is for the character to to talk about it themselves. Yeah, because then it just it falls flat. I'm this. I'm that. I'm so fucking dangerous and crazy boring especially when they like self-monologue i went to the institution and did this and that awful the second thing this uh, the second best way that i think um really shows menace is just demonstrate how how dangerous a character is demonstrate it and then then let the audience draw that conclusion themselves that's very it can be very very effective to like do that pigeon. exactly another great way to do it um and if it fits your narrative, I always recommend doing it is to have other characters talk about how dangerous this person we is. We all know all the things that Hannibal Lecter have done and why. Not because mm-hmm. he told us, not because we saw them, we mm-hmm. sort of do, but because it's told to us yeah. very early in the film mm-hmm. what he's done mm-hmm. as his, you know, case study. Mm-hmm. His yeah. case file. Yeah. So that way, the first time we see Hannibal Lecter behind that glass, it is a fucking caged animal standing to you with piercing eyes, hands clasped behind its back. And, and But you know that this person has eaten people. Yeah. Same thing here. We're getting at the end of the film, though, with Aster. And it really is very, very effective because the mom is all of a sudden on her way busting her ass out of the hospital to go and save her family because she's on the phone with this hospital saying, you know, 
she's you know killed these people she's actually born in 1974 so that pegs her at like what 34 years old mm-hmm. 33 34 are you older than i am well and also we have uh, a scenario where she wears the ribbons and, and bands around her wrists and her uh the choker around her neck because she struggled with a straitjacket so much that it would cause her body to bleed she is the most violent patient we've ever had, and she escaped a year ago. So that is, uh, she has a, a specific type of uh, dwarfism that gives her the appearance of a child. Yeah, she's a hypopituitarism. Um, I thought that she just had abnormal growth hormone, mm-hmm. but it's a pituitary gland problem, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um terrifying idea too because right away we're thinking of all the adult things she's said via mm-hmm. via all the chill childish things that she's done mm-hmm. uh and it becomes very very creepy that like how psychologically damaged is she okay she's the craziest patient they've ever had but she's like she wants so badly to live in this life of a child or is it that she's forced to live in this life of a child because of her body like it's, it's such a mix of emotion you get for esther and for Kate running, because we know what she does to husbands now that yeah. resist her advances, she kills them. She kills them. And that is definitely what is going to be happening this time in, in which she has been uh, officially jilted mm-hmm. by her current target. And she vanishes, trashes her room, and then he goes searching for her. And one of my favorite scenes in this entire film, the whole time... You know, Esther's been uh, quite a little artist. She paints some very sweet pictures. Not only made her, she's painting. Yeah, and, you know, and 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 uh, she's painting a picture when her mom gets her to say they fuck, which I think is hilarious because she turns immediately back to her painting and just continues painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these paintings, when exposed to a black light, have some additional paint on them. Oh, really? Good. I'd like to see them because I know what a great artist she is. What do they look like, Wes? Uh, well, I mean, they they have graphic depictions of sex. They have uh, demons. They have murder. My favorite is the knife right through somebody's head. Yeah, they have uh, a beautiful home that is now on fire. And, and wow, it is a fantastic scene. Now, Lights Out had dealt with a scene that we were doing black light as well. Glow in the dark shit. Really, really cool. This scene is superior in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and I think that just this sequence is really cool. Now, Dad's still a little tipsy. Got a little too turnt. You understand? No, so, I don't. Uh, okay, well, you know, kind of faded, but he's feeling all right. Okay. And Esther is definitely thinking about making her move tonight. Well, yeah, because she's like, and she's even taken the bandeau she wears over her breasts because she has breasts, guys. Yeah, she's she is a, she's a thirty three year old woman. She and and yeah, so she's letting it all hang out. Yeah, unfucking real. And they do a good job because this is a twelve year old girl, right? Mm-hmm. Like for real, like the actress, playing a yeah. nine year old girl um, that we thought. So now they've warped. They fucked with us really bad, Wes. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're to believe that she's a 34-year-old woman. And fucking Jesus Christ, if I don't believe it. She has hips. She has breasts. She looks cruel. She takes out those teeth. And that's probably the most memorable and t- terrifying thing is she takes out her little girl teeth that are yeah. covering these 
raggly, scraggly adult stained teeth. Yeah, I almost thought for a second when I first saw it, I was like, is her teeth filed down? To fangs, to, yeah. yeah to, <laughs> you want them to be, yeah. I wanted them to be too, yeah. so she can just gnaw the necks of her enemies. But yeah, yeah. they might as well be. She's not feral, you know? Yeah. She and her skin and everything is just old. Yeah. She looks old. She looks older. And, and now she's really with her hair tied back and in kind of normal casual clothes yeah she is really conducting her like she is moving and looking more way more adult yeah and she's also pretty adult as adult as she was when she was bludgeoning the nun she stabs her dad what like 28 times in the chest holy fuck and i didn't know that we were going here like when when the dad gets stuck with a knife and then she just continues to stab him and i was just like Oh wow! Okay, it's a crime of passion. Yeah, if there ever was one. Yeah, so I was like, "This is what we're doing, I guess." Killing this fucking guy, and I thought for that second, I was like, "Oh man, like, is everyone gonna die, uh, or or what? How are we fucking handling this?" And at this point, we know how ruthless she is, and how quick she is to act, and how close that everyone is to fucking dying because Max is still in the house, mm-hmm. and she's just a little deaf kid. Esther's stolen her fucking hearing aid, so she's, like, deaf as deaf could be right now. Mm-hmm. So she could have her way with her, and that's fucking terrifying. Even though Mom's on her way, Mom's probably just walking in to be another body on the floor, even though she is calling the cops mm-hmm. and saying there's an intruder in the house, which is pretty smart. Yeah. You know, what's she going to... Like, who's the intruder? Oh, uh, my daughter. You know? Yeah. But so- she doesn't feed them any information. Just there's... Calls 911, there's an intruder in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so help's on the way, but I don't... You're pretty sure it's not going to get there fast enough. Mm-hmm. Esther also does move like a fucking ninja. Yeah, she has done this before, and she takes uh, now. Now it is a matter of of like the mom just like Kate just fucking drives the damn car into the house. Yeah, I think that's half accident, but yeah. <clears throat> yeah, she sees that uh, her husband is now dead. One of the things that I think was interesting is is like because I was expecting this whole time. I was like, well, they're going to have like this moment of reconciliation at the end of the film where, oh, you were right this whole time. They have to kind of give each other that look. And I was like, because I, I was just like, now I'm like formulating the end of this film before it even fucking happens, right? Uh, and so, uh, but that doesn't happen. She doesn't get that reconciliation. She finds her husband's butchered body at the head at the bottom of the stairs. And uh, she has like a pretty pretty believable reaction, but she's still got work to do because there's still a living kid in the house, right? So she's got to go get that. Basically, we have a chase through the fucking house. Now, I think it's kind of funny that like one of the things that we think takes Esther out is is like Kate's adult body basically like falling on top of her through that yeah. through the uh, greenhouse. Basically, gets fucking Esther's head all shredded up, and then for, like Kate and and Max are heading out the house. And uh, police arrive and they're fucking going over the place. But sure enough, Esther's body is not fucking there anymore. Just like a fucking Michael Myers. Yeah, Just like a fucking Jason Voorhees. Oh, yeah. She is that tough. Um, Apparently there's an alternate ending where this actually doesn't really happen like this. This is where the ending sort of diverge. Mm -hmm. But uh, the mom and Max go running through the the forest where you're like, oh, yeah, let's run to the frozen cold for safety. Mm -hmm. Um. But sadly, Aster is behind them and Mm. she's trudging through the snow barefoot too, I guess. Like, I am such a cold person that this is uncomfortable for me to watch. Yeah. And and we're taken down to the water. This water, this frozen lake where this accident from Kate's past has been alluded to several times involving Max. And, you know, now this final fight between these two women 
is going to take place here. Esther coming at her with a fucking knife like a goddamn bat out of hell. And like a little Max grabbing the pistol thinking she's helping. And, and like I was just like, oh my god, if she fucking fires that gun and actually kills Esther, that would be ridiculous to me. But sure enough, it doesn't happen. She completely misses, hits the ice, and the kick of the gun sends her fucking ass over tea kettle, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's about what I would expect of a five-year-old girl handling a pistol. Yeah, Caesar, because I'm just glad she didn't accidentally kill her mother with that gun, because then she'd be scarred for life if she hasn't been scarred for life already. Yeah, and so sure enough, the ice breaks, both the women plunge into the water, and it's like a struggle to fucking life. And like uh kate is getting stabbed to fucking shit by esther like esther's all over her. yeah and i'm like my favorite is when she kicks her in the head when she's underwater yeah. and you think that that might help but no she almost makes it out of the ice max is coming to across he has to help her mom but her mom is just that old wiring mm-hmm. telling her no max it's not safe get away because she's always wanted max away from that pond mm-hmm. because she almost fucking died in it so the last thing she wants is max anywhere near the pond even mm-hmm. if it's to help her it's not much help a little kid can do. So she's clawing her way up the ice, but then Esther makes her way up her back mm-hmm. to save herself. Mm-hmm. She's definitely pleading with her mother, like, don't let me die. Don't let me die, mommy. With a knife behind her back. With a knife back, behind her back. Yeah. Like, she's definitely going to fucking stab her. Mm-hmm. And the Kate's, I'm not your fucking mother, kicks her in the head. And it's like the kick to end all kicks. Because, man, Esther's neck is very clearly broken. <laughs> Yep, blood flies. That, you can hear that crack. And that, that, that slight slow mo. Yeah, that head. And then she just sinks below the water, and that's the end of Esther. And we're basically getting out of here. The alternate ending uh, that I prefer because I don't want Esther to be dead is <laughs> is basically um, is that Esther is rallied by the police, and we don't know like maybe Esther could talk her way out of it. It's not exactly sure. Like it, it, there's already been enough chaffed in the woman's mind that that uh that there's enough sorry there's been enough chaff to put on kate that you know it wouldn't be unforeseeable that maybe she in some kind of a rage killed her husband and attacked and they're but, not gonna believe a little five-year-old so max really has no clout either yeah and everything that she say would be warped is really like she said she said but the clincher is that when Kate called the police initially, mm-hmm. she said there's an intruder in the house. Mm-hmm. She didn't say my daughter's killing my husband. Yeah. So if Esther were to even say it was the big man, yeah. <laughs> the big man came in and killed my daddy. Yeah. So they would believe her, unfortunately, yeah. probably. I yeah. don't know. Unless they could dig back into her past, call yeah. the Sarn Institute, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. So there could be a way. She's already escaped a mental institution. Once she could escape yeah. police custody, I'm pretty fucking sure. She mm-hmm. just like seduce somebody or trick somebody or just like go get a soda from the machine and she's out of there, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that what would have been a what I think what I would have wanted for this film's ending. I like this movie as it is. The ending ended the way it should. Mm-hmm. It's a complete story, beginning, middle, and end. We're out of here. But if I could argue for my hot new take, it's that Esther were to survive this this thing kill the mother maybe grandma was there ice her too and successfully have killed danny and then sort of go off into the night or something like that move on to the next target and now max is entered into the foster care system perhaps even in the same just to like close the loop it was like here's another orphan but it's not saying that she's gonna be killing anybody or anything like that but just kind of have it be kind of like a sad little ending where like this little girl just kind of ends up like with her family murdered by 
someone that was adopted into her family. Now she's been now she's into the foster care system or something like that. Just do that. Well, now the actress is getting older, so I would really like to see um, some sort of sequel with the same sort of idea. But mm-hmm. I'd really like to see what had happened is Esther escapes. Okay. Because, um, you know, she might have had her neck broken with that kick, but she might have not. Mm-hmm. Um, or using the alternate ending, somehow she gets out of there and does find somebody who will live with her and gets impregnated and has a daughter and realizes that maybe her body, because it's kind of trapped into the guise of a nine-year-old, she can't care for a child properly. Maybe she can't breastfeed or maybe she's too fucking crazy. And she gives the baby up for adoption and ends up creating a whole new generation of herself because the child has the exact same problem and is maybe just as crazy. So we would have like Orphan 2 and it would be a whole new girl. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, Pretty cool. For sure. For sure. I would just like to see something like this again. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm just glad we have this. It exists. Yeah. Yeah. You know, know, it is hard. It's always we're we're so conditioned these days to get sequels and prequels and more and more and more. We always want more. It's sometimes hard to remember that it's okay if something is just one thing. But well, the thing is, is I like this so much and I loved the character of Esther so much that I want more Esther. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know I wanted it until today. And it is luckily highly rewatchable. So if this is the oh, only yeah. Esther we get, you know, it's definitely highly rewatchable. It's one mm-hmm. of the few films that I do own. So mm-hmm. and that's why, because I mm-hmm. have no problem watching this over and over. And you glean little extra things. Mm-hmm. Um, and even after watching it, Watching the title, the closing title sequence oh, is yeah. a montage, and it tells the story over again oh, yeah. in a way, and I really enjoy watching. Oh, that. it's super metal. I love, I love all of the the inclusion of like the black, the glowing paint, and all that kind of shit. It's fucking cool. Mm-hmm. This whole film is, is just really an accomplishment. It's a really good accomplishment in horror. If you guys have uh, heard of this film, haven't checked it out. Uh, I highly recommend it. I was one of you. I used to be just like you. I had heard of The Orphan, but I'd never seen it. Uh, I knew the twist going in, and it didn't ruin anything for me. I think it's still a a very effective, interesting story. I wish that we would have had a disclaimer about, like, if you don't know the twist of this film. But we fucked up at the very beginning, didn't we? Yeah, I'll put it in the description. Yeah, that'd be cool. So what do we got next for him? Coming out next is a big fucking mystery, Wes. We have no idea. No idea. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I don't really want to fill it with requests in a way because I'm sure we have lots that we want to be doing. Sure. Uh, but we just hadn't decided. We're going to have a week off. That's for sure. I have mm-hmm. a vacation to attend to. You have a vacation to attend to. Sometimes you guys, Lydia sleeps or something. I don't know what she does. Or records other podcasts. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you might find me on a mystery show of doom. I'm not going to say where. I'm trying to be as vague as possible. But like, speaking of being vague. Yeah, okay. Remember my favorite podcast in the entire planet next to ours, Bind Torture Cast? Yeah, you've mentioned them once or twice or 50 times. Yeah. Chris is uh, looking to do a video game episode, just a one-off on Resident Evil 7. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's still doing this, so double check with the Bind Torture Cast Facebook. Looking for somebody who's played the game through twice, got both endings, has a good USB mic, and wouldn't mind being a guest on an episode to talk video games. And that would fulfill my dream video game shows like horror video games specifically and i find it really boring to watch a let's play video like i don't watch youtube videos and that's the big thing there aren't a lot of like um horror video 
game podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. It's very rare when a, a hor- there was another horror podcast called Dead Air that was covering video games. But they sort of like came and went. Yeah, like, like everyone else that calls themselves Dead Air. Yeah, there's just, only one other long living, very very long living podcast called Dead Air outside oh, from us. Oh, we coming after you? We hungry? Oh my god! What? Oh, we gonna eat your podcast up, Dead Air? No, we're not. That's, yeah, they're one of those. Uh, what are you drinking today, there, West? Kind of podcast. Yeah, yeah, they're totally different echelon. You know. Okay. Yeah. So. The, this is a more different podcast. One of gotcha. the 20, this is like uh, Dead Air Podcast 19 out of 22, something like that. Uh, they were doing video games and had they were ramping up to cover Resident Evil and actually didn't. It's rare when uh, th- this is horror. It's a literary horror podcast. Once in a while they would talk about video games, but not really because that's derailing their show entirely. So this way someone would be able to talk about horror video games in the proper venue as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, go and get a hold of Vine Torture Cast if you're interested in being on a Resident Evil specific podcast. Or mm-hmm. if somebody follows a horror fucking podcast that ca- talks about video games, let me know. I'd be very interested to hear it. Yeah. I'm going to plug it like timely another podcast that I've been all over right now. It's called the Morbid Curiosity Podcast. And it is wonderful. So if you have a morbid curiosity, definitely check it out. It's produced very, very well. And it's researched impeccably, and it's just a beautiful podcast about weird, creepy shit. I've suggested, because she takes suggestions, flesh-covered uh, lampshades. I'd like to know more about that. And sub-incisions mm-hmm. and other um, voluntary genital mutilations. So it's that sort of show. Yeah, I listened to a really, really cool episode on bog people, which feeds into our into our Women in Black episode mm-hmm. very neatly. So I do recommend that specific episode to you, Wes. Okay, great. I can learn all about peat bog mummies. Yeah. Fantastic. Just to let you guys know, if you ever have a request that you'd like to toss us, you can tweet me at Wes Deadairnipe, or you can tweet Lydia at Typical Lydia. And places like that is maybe sometimes where you get the most up-to-date information. It's already been a thing that we record one week and release the next. So anything we have to say is old news a lot of the time. Like, I'd like to say congratulations to Tom Rogan, who won the Goodreads giveaway for a signed copy of Pray Light Eve 2. And that's a good example of something that our listeners didn't even know about couldn't participate in and now they're just getting a congratulations tom rogan and they're like who the fuck is tom rogan i'm like i know who tom rogan is <laughs> and if you followed the twitter then you would know that but yeah, like so and be able to participate it, in so things. it's a way listeners it's your fault no no it's not it's just and i do apologize i just want to point out that it's only going to get worse when we go bi-weekly mm-hmm, that's right just to let you guys know we've mentioned this before i'm going to mention it every episode including episode 100 that we are going to be switching to a bi-weekly schedule after episode 100 other tiny pluggeries if you're interested check out pstdarkness.com for my recent review of revenge of the vampire king by nancy kilpatrick another horror writers association affiliated and canadian she's from montreal mm-hmm. horror author some of this film that we did today was shot in montreal yeah and toronto too like mm-hmm. was it what canadian french like france german u.s german u.s german joint ventures yeah it's like the fucking international space station I know, right? And I enjoy that very much. And I like that some of their like box office or home box office would have come from 
all people in those different countries renting it because they're like, I know my my dad worked on this, so mm-hmm. let's rent it. You know, all these four different countries involved. I think that helps with uh, the word of mouth too. Absolutely, three different languages. Wow. Four, if you count France, French, and Canadian French being different things, which they are. Mm-hmm. English and bad English. Yeah, American, you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I got to be nice. I'm going there soon, so I'm going to shut You are. Mouth. You yeah. are. I hope you come back. We'll see. Goals, kids. Make sure you got goals in this life. Otherwise, you'll never reach for anything. Backwoods, hillbilly horror goals. And on that note, I'm Wes Knipe. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>